All I know is one-on-one, -on -one, you have never beat me. That's all I got to say. Not that we've ever played, but... <laughs> um. <clears throat> I, I want to pray for today, and uh, I really want to believe like, like something's going to happen. I, I, you know, last week I was in Korea, and I, and I was getting ready to pray, and the Lord just convicted me about, you know, James chapter 1 as I was getting to, ready to pray because I, I, I didn't have faith. I, I, I didn't. I was up there in front of everyone going, let's pray. And, you know, we're closing our eyes. And, uh, man, you know, when Koreans pray, they pray, you know. And it just hit me like, you don't really believe anything's going to happen this session. Um, and it was hard. It was like one of those times when I just knew, like, James 1 just popped right in my head. I was like, the Lord just threw it in there. You know how, the, how Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of the things that I've taught you? And it was just one of those moments where it was just the Holy Spirit throwing Scripture right in the forefront of my mind. Because, because earlier, the, you know, I was getting convicted about what the Lord wanted me to share there in, uh, in Korea and, and it was kind of overwhelming, you, you know, because I'm, I'm speaking at this church, and, and churches in Korea are massive. I mean, this one was 60,000 people at this church, okay? It's kind of big. And, uh, <laughs> and not only that, but it was, it was going to be broadcast on television. They go, man, probably about a million and a half people will watch this today. And, and I, you know, I've been, it was a three-day conference, it was getting towards the end, I'm learning more about their culture, we've been talking about the attributes of God, and the more I'm learning about Korea and, and the mindset of the people there, the Lord just really started stirring my heart of some things I, I really needed to address, but that's kind of overwhelming, you know, to come into a country for three days and then just attack something that I felt was very unbiblical. And it, because here's, here's the thing, okay, like in Korea, they, they study like crazy. You guys know that, right? But I don't think we understand the extent. Like I'm asking the pastor, like, so when do your kids go to school? When do they get home? He goes, no, every morning they leave around 6, 6.30, and they come home between 9 and 10 at night every day it used to be that they'd go to school like seven to three but then you know to get into the university only a few students make it so some guy decides you know i'm going to take an extracurricular class and get ahead of all these guys so i get in and then everyone else goes oh no you don't i'm going to take it too well then i'm going to take two well i'm going to take three i'm going to study every waking moment and so it's been this competition because only a certain amount get in of, of these millions of students. And so every year, every year, when the list comes out of who comes, gets in, mass suicide. Every year of students just going, I didn't make it in. I mean, you can imagine if you studied that many hours your whole life, all up to that day to see if you make it in and you don't get in. And the shame it brings on your family, the shame it brings on everyone else. And so this is everyone. Okay, this isn't a select few of, you know, AP class people. It, it's everyone. And this is the culture. In fact, it used to be six days a week up until about a year or two ago. And they changed it to five days a week. But parents are telling their kids, don't worry about church. Get into the university. You can go to church when you're 18. For now, get into the university. This is it. I mean, so many issues with family and, and everything else. And so here I am. I'm going to address this. You know, it's, it's, it's my, uh, thank you. <clears throat> um, no, I, I thought you were going to hit me. <laughs> I was ready for him. I was like, what's this guy going to do? Man? Um, but... <clears throat> as I want to just kind of finish up my sermon series that I've got prepared there in Korea, the Lord's saying, you kidding me? You got you to hit some of this stuff. And, and even with prayer, um, thinking, you know, yeah, you guys, I mean, they're getting to church at 4 a.m., like some of them every single day to pray. 
I'm sure that happens at your church too. You, you know, <clears throat> and yet everything in Scripture is telling me, look, there are relationships at home are not right. First Peter 3 says that, man, you, you're not right with your wife. Your prayers are going to be hindered if you don't treat her with, you know, they're, they're not caring for the poor, you know, and the human trafficking issues and stuff that are going on right there in Seoul that they're kind of just pushing aside the, uh, you know, unwanted kids sneaking in from North Korea that the church isn't adopting. You, you know, all these things, the scripture says, I'm not going to listen to you. You don't care for the poor. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. You don't believe. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. You, you know, you, you, you treat your wife that way. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. And, and so all this stuff is welling up like, man, I got to tell these people that, man, that's awesome that you're coming to church at four, but God isn't listening to you. Um, you know, you start going, who am I to say this stuff? Who am I to, to, to confront this issue with the, you know, this, this, this foreigner, you know, comes in for three days and is going to attack the culture. And, and yet you got to say what God throws on your heart, right? You got to say what you know is in scripture. And so I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm just going to say this and get out of here. Um, and so as I'm praying, I'm going, in my head, I'm like, nothing's going to change, you know, but I got to say this, I, and I really didn't believe, and the Lord was just revealing that to me, um, you don't believe I could actually do something, and, and, and some of it may be because I'm so used to that as a pastor, you know, you preach these sermons, and people amen, but do their lives really change? And so you just get in this mode of, okay, well, I'm, let me just get in another Sunday. And that faith element, um, you start losing it. You start losing it. And God really is working on my heart last week about my lack of faith um, just from experience. And I just wonder how many of us deal with that where there were those days when you believed like, okay, God, change it, you know, make this Sunday, you know. And then <clears throat> those Sundays pass and nothing happens and you start to doubt more and more and more and then prayer just becomes this formality. And so as I was up there praying, I confessed to the church, I go, look, I, I don't have faith right now. Pray that I get faith. I'm going to pray right now that God would give me some faith because I don't want to go through the motions. What's the point in praying if I don't believe something's going to happen? And it was a it was a fascinating day um, there in Korea. The next morning, pastors are telling me the phone calls, the emails of men who went home, pulled their kids together and repented in front of them and said, listen, I don't care if you make it in or not. Look, here's what's most important to me. You've got to be right before God. You know, because I told him, I go, man, when my baby was born, I go, I remember walking around the house and saying, God, I can, I can deal with anything. Like, if, if she's an idiot, I don't care. You, you know, <laughs> if she's not talented, if she's ugly, like, I can get, that's, you know, not my first choice, but I, I'm okay. <laughs> but I told God, I go, if she doesn't love you, I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how to get through that, honestly. Man, and I, I don't mean to bring up something that I know some of you guys are dealing with. And there was a period with my oldest where I just thought, God, this is everything I prayed would not happen. So I told him, oh, God, I, I can deal with all the other stuff. But the thought of not spending eternity with her, <clears throat> I don't know if I can get through that. The thought of her being tormented forever... How am I supposed to continue on in life knowing that with someone I love so much? Okay, that's the one, one selfish request I have on this earth is would you have my wife and kids truly follow you? That's it. That's it. That's, it. you know, everything else is gravy. But that, I got to have that because I don't know how I'll function without that. I, I, I want to be with them forever. And so as I shared that with the people, I'm like, I don't get that. I mean, isn't that what you want? I mean, this life is so short. And you're worried about the university like the rest of the world? And they went home, apologized to their kids. The pastor was telling me, he goes, yeah, I went home and 
told my wife I loved her. She asked me if I was okay. <laughs> Literally, that's what he said. Like, he goes, we don't do this out here. We don't. His other one said, yeah, I held my wife's hand yesterday. It's weird, you know? It's just, and all this stuff that I was going, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. In this culture where everyone does it this way, I go, no, but that's, that's not what Jesus taught us, right? And we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. And to see these people respond, man, it, it was so, so powerful. So even as I, I talk about what I'm about to talk about, there's this side of me that's like, okay, can this really change? Um, can this really happen in the United States? I mean, a lot of you guys know a couple of years ago I was in Asia just believing the Lord sent me there and thinking, okay, I, I think maybe Asia, let's just go. And as a family, we sold everything and just started traveling through Asia and going, God, where do you want us to stop? You know, we'll, we'll live anywhere on this earth. Is it right here in India, in this slum? We'll stop right here. I'm praying with my wife and, and our four kids at that time. You know, she's pregnant with our fifth. You know, we're holding hands going, God, is this it? We'll stop. We'll stay here. Is this the place where you want our family? Whatever will be best for your kingdom. You know, in Thailand, praying and going, God, is this it? And, and my kids are going, yeah, yeah, we like it here. You know, like, oh, God, is this it? I don't know. And then when we were in Hong Kong, it was like, okay, this is it. This is it. It's Hong Kong. You know, we're looking at apartments. We're <clears throat> looking at schools. And that's when I, I just got really convicted again by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord, really believing. He was saying, you need to go back to the States. Um, I haven't released you from the States. There's a, a picture of church that I want in the States that you didn't really, you didn't, you didn't carry it through to the end. I want things centered around discipleship. I want the church to look like the church, even remotely like the church that you see in the book of Acts, where the love for one another, care for one another, the courage, the passion, the way they're getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, rather than just coming and being entertained and, and consuming and, and all this stuff, you know, just gets on my heart and I'm going, God, this is impossible. You've you got to be kidding me. And so much of me just wanted to stay in China where it was already happening. Um, and go, man, I just want to ride this wave here in China and join them. And, and uh, you know, there are days where you just go, can the church really change? And even now, I want to believe that as I pray right now, <coughs> that something could happen here today in the next couple hours. just to believe. I'm at conferences every day, it feels like. I got another one at 1230, you know, and you just start going, blah, 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 blah. Is anything going to happen? And I don't want to think that way, you know, and I'm just telling you I'm fighting it. And I want to believe, like, book of Acts type of stuff, like we could pray and there could be an earthquake and, you know, the lights would fall and kill the people that were in sin anyways, <laughs> you, you know, like, like I, I, that's my heart, you know, that's, that's who I want to be, you know, like God, don't let people take faith away from me, you know. Everyone starts doubting you. Everyone starts talking you out of stuff. Church is the one place, you know, Hebrews, you know, says that we're supposed to stir one another up and encourage one another. But so often church is a place where we get beat up and our dreams and visions get squashed and everyone tells you why it could never happen. And it's like, gosh, 
man, can I just be with a group of people? And we just believe and go, no, no, that can't happen. That's got to happen. No, let's, let's make it happen. The Holy Spirit, this is what God wants. He's going to build his church. And this is the picture that he wanted for the world. This is what he died for. When he was hanging on the cross, this is the picture he had in his mind of what the church would look like. The, these warriors that, that stood side by side, that marched side by side for the sake of the gospel, like Philippians 1 says, not afraid by, of anything by their opponents. And it says that it's a sure sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation. And that's what Christ wanted. And I'm going, God, we, we can have that back. We can have that courage. We can have that unity. we got to believe this. Um, so would you guys pray with me? God, I don't know how many moments I have left on this earth or any of us have here on this earth. It's all up to you. You decide who walks out of the room today. Everything is in your hands. You're the God of Moses. And we're talking to you. You are Isaiah's God. Paul's God. The God who sent his son down on this earth to die on the cross. The God who caused him to raise from the dead. The God who's going to return. And wipe out things as we know it. And dwell with us. God, it's an honor to speak to you. And it's only because of what you did on that cross 2,000 years ago. And we've come here in honor of what he did on that cross. With joy because of what he did on that cross. It's an honor to share that message, to even talk about it right now, to think about it. No one will ever love us like you do. God, we want to be courageous, Lord, and yet we have fears. We get insecure. We want to trust in you and your provisions and seek your kingdom first. But all these other things get, get, get in our heads. God, we want to lose our lives to find it. God, it's just hard to let go sometimes. We get lazy, get distracted, we get caught up in civilian affairs. Father, I want to be your soldier. Purify us today, Lord. Sanctify us. Give us a faith a courage that we don't have just yet. May we stir one another up. May we be encouraged, God. God, would you encourage the faint-hearted? God, I just want your church to be beautiful in America. That it would be a light that we would not conform to the pattern of this country or even the pattern of other so-called churches, but that we would search your word and seek to have you build through us a church that's pure, loving, humble, courageous, unified, would truly be a light again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
you know, I, one of the patterns that I get concerned about with, with church the last few years, I think we're through with the whole seeker thing, right? I mean, I, it seemed like a great phase in the 80s, 90s, like, you know, let's bring in dancers and... <clears throat> And, 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 and so that, that's great. That's great. Um, but then we, what I love is I, I think there's been more of a drive toward teaching the Bible, from what I can tell. Um, more young people, they're going, oh, let's get in the Word. Let's teach the Word. Um, people unashamed just going, look, I know this is hard, but it's what the Word of God says, so I'm going to say it. I, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of that. Not to say there isn't we're still not outnumbered, but I, there's more and more people saying, look, this is what the Word of God says, and, and so let's just, let's just lay it out unashamedly. Yeah, I don't like this either. That seems harsh, but he did say it, and it is Jesus. Um, and so I, I love that. I love that. But here's my concern. Um, people still aren't doing it. <laughs> you know, and, and so sometimes I think what's worse when it was like a lousy sermon and no fruit or now it's a good sermon and no fruit. Like in some ways, this could be worse. You know, because now they're accountable for what they heard, at least before they never heard it. They heard John 3:16 every week. Now, you know, you're hearing John 3, 17, 18, whoa, three, you know, 36, you're going on and on. And, and suddenly it's like, wow, you're, you're seeing some of the other passages and, and we're teaching it. And, but the change isn't there. The only change is, is people are walking away convicted. You know, people are walking away from the church going, wow, that was a heavy message. And I'll hear things like, man, that wrecked me. That absolutely ruined me. You know, and then people start going podcasting, listening to messages from different pastors, and, and it's kind of going, you know, and they're listening to good, strong doctrine, and they're walking away going, man, that really wrecked me. That absolutely ruined me. You know, they'll start, you know, commenting on Facebook or whatever. Oh, I just listened to a, you know, Paul Washer message. It killed me. Uh, you know, I listened to three Driscolls and two Chans. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm so convicted. And people are walking out of church crying. Oh, I'm so convicted. And the thing is, is for a while, and I got caught up in that, like, yes. Yes, yes, this is good, this is good, this is good. They're listening to hard doctrine. It's hitting their heart. It's making them, you know, convicted. But you guys, that's not a good thing. Unless there's repentance. See, and I think we got in our heads for a while there that, oh good, they're leaving convicted. They're leaving sad even. There's even tears. You guys... But that's not the goal. Remember, it was the rich young ruler that walked away sad. Right? He, he heard what Jesus had to say, and he walks away going, oh, man. There in, uh, in, in Luke 18, verse 23, it says, When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he became sad, said, How difficult it is. For those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it says, then who can be saved? And he says, what's impossible with men is possible with God. And, you know, so he walks away sad. And Jesus isn't going, yes, look at that. He's convicted. He's even crying. Look at him walking away. He's going, you know, and the rich young ruler's going, man, that wrecked me. I'm ruined. I'm going to Facebook and tell everyone, you know, <laughs> that wasn't success. And so often in the church, we almost see it as that. And in my mind, I'm going, man, Satan's actually pleased with that. Look, Satan doesn't, you remember, Satan is the liar, the deceiver. And James says, when we hear the word of God and we don't do what it says, we deceive ourselves. So I actually believe Satan is totally happy with a lot of what goes on in our churches. 
He's going, man, pray. I can't say praise God. He says, whatever he says. He's like, wow, you know, this is cool. Okay, that's what he says. You know, they're in there. They're celebrating these sermons that they're not going to obey, but they're convicted and they think they've achieved something. They're deceiving themselves. I don't even need to go in the church and deceive them. They're deceiving themselves. They're hearing the word of God and not obeying it. They're walking away sad and celebrating like something good just happened. But Paul made it clear in 2 Corinthians that worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. That The rich young ruler walked away with this worldly sorrow like, man, is Jesus worth it? I don't know. But then you flip the page, and, and in uh, Luke 19, verse 2, it says there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief, collect, chief tax collector and was rich. Right after Jesus said, hey, it, it's impossible with man, but with God it is possible, then he sees another rich man. When he's going to Jericho, he sees Zacchaeus. And it points out in Scripture, this guy was rich also. And you know the story, right? You know, Jesus is saying, you know, uh, you know, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus comes climbing down that tree. No way. Come on in. Jesus is going to be in my house. Look, half of everything I own goes to the poor. The other half, man, I'm going to pay back everyone I ripped off. If I ripped you off, come tell me. I'll give you four times whatever I ripped you off of. And what does Jesus say? He gets so fired up. He goes, today salvation has come to this house. Right? You know, it's like, yeah, it happened. See, I told you. I told you it's possible. Salvation has come to this house. Here's a rich man who gets it. Here's a rich man who gladly says, look, with exceeding joy, Here's everything I own. I've got to have this field. I've got to have this treasure. And Jesus goes, salvation came there. See, Zacchaeus did not walk away sad. See, here is godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. And that's what this is about. This is about the church. And, you know, you, you look and you go, what does God want from us? It's not this sadness. It's not just listening to hard sermons. People have been doing that all through history. It's about the change that the Holy Spirit can bring into our lives. And so this is what I'm praying for. And this is, man, I'm hoping you still have faith that this can happen. And I know when week after week it feels like the same old thing, same old people, nothing's changed. They're just getting better at lying to me and hiding things. It gets discouraging. And it starts affecting our prayer life. And we start praying like nothing's really going to happen I, I tell you, when the Lord gave me that vision in, in Hong Kong, I, I was overwhelmed. But I said, you know what, Lord? I mean, what else am I going to do with my life? You know, if this is what you want me to try to go after, I'll go after it. And I told the Lord, I go, look, I, I can't do this by myself. Which is a great thing to be able to say. You go, Lord, you gave me something that is over my head. I need the body of Christ. Okay, I know what, I'm old enough now. You know, when you're younger, you kind of feel like you can do everything. And the more mistakes you make, you realize, gosh, I'm really not that good at that. I'm really not that good at that, too. But, in, in, you know, in your head, coming out of seminary, it's like, I can do anything. What, what do you want me to do? I'll sing the solo. You, you know, you just, I seriously used to think I could sing. You, you know, and, and then my wife's like, honey, no, seriously. You know, and sometimes in church, you know, I'll, I'll be sitting next to her and I'll sing. And I go, okay, did you hear me at all during church today? And she goes, yeah. I go, I, I feel like my pitch was right on. And she goes, she goes, honey, I'll agree, your pitch is good. But even when your pitch is on, you're still not pleasant to listen to. <clears throat> like, all right, all right, all right. And I keep thinking I can do it, but I just can't. You know, now you get older and you go, okay, I, that's... Oh, that's not my area. Okay, that's not my area. That's not my area. So I'm coming before the Lord. I'm going, look, I, I know myself better now. I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. Um, and obviously, by your power, I can do things way beyond that. But I understand my gift in the body. 
You know, if I'm a mouth, you know, not the brain or not the eyes, I'm just the mouth, you, you know? So I need the brains, I need this, I need this, I need this. And I said, if this is really what you've called me to, no way I, can I pull this off on my own. Bring people to me. And I told God, I am not going to recruit anyone. I said, I'm not going to go in the flesh and just <clears throat> take a census or, you know, start calling my friends that I go, okay, here's the best leader. You know, maybe if I call Andy Stanley, okay, come on, join with me. And I'm going to call Chris Tomlin. Okay, you be the worship leader. And <clears throat> let me just start racking up different people and let's create this super team, you know. Um, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't want to do that because it could be that maybe there's some drug addict on the street that's going to be my right-hand man and you're just going to pull him out of nowhere. Maybe there's a guy that's persecuting the church right now and even killing people that you're going to raise up and he's going to be the guy that leads it and I just come under him. Like, like those are the things I'm used to in Scripture. So I don't want to pick the guys. You bring people to me. Um, I'm now recruiting for this one. And first guy I met when I came back unplanned was a guy named David Platt um, who wrote the book Radical and I had just read the book Radical um, <clears throat> I, I literally had like six different people give it to me um, to read literally like you got to read this book you got to read this book I, I already got five of them you know I got it I got it I'll read it <clears throat> you know and the whole time through just going amen 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 and what, first thing I spoke at was at the Passion Conference that year and David happened to be there speaking at one of the seminars, and we immediately, you know, when Louis was introducing everyone, I'm like, man, that's David Platt. He looks like a little boy, you know, and uh, <clears throat> immediately right afterwards, we just connected, and I'm like, Are you, this is great, you know, our wives got together, and we all just hung out, you know, listened to Piper preach, and both were ruined, you know, and uh, <laughs> great, great time of fellowship, and then... Uh, I just said, hey, what's the Lord been laying on your heart? And he said, man, the thing God's been telling me is everything's got to be about discipleship. I'm like, really? He goes, in fact, I've been trying to work on this curriculum to help one person disciple one or two other people. I go, that's what I'm working on. He goes, I'm thinking like maybe even like conferences someday, like, you, you know, where, where we, I get the message out. I go, that's what I was thinking. He goes, I may even write a book about it. I go, I go, this is insane. I go, these are all the things the Lord laid on my heart when I was in Hong Kong. Like, this is what I got to do. And, and he just said, he goes, well, it doesn't make sense for us to do two of these. Let's, let's talk about doing this together. And oh, man, this is crazy. This is all the stuff. And, and so for the last year and a half, you know, he and I have been working on this stuff, and, and you know, and like they said, the book just came out yesterday. Um, we're having the conference next Saturday. Like, this is all of this is coming together. Other pastors are getting involved, you know, joining in. We're getting this, you, you know, this nationwide, uh, you know, streaming thing where we've got about, I don't know, 75, 80,000 people now that are going to watch this, you know, next Saturday night, broadcast from, from San Francisco. And it's, it's like, wow. This is, this is all happening. This is happening. This is, and understand, too, the book is not really a book, this one. Um, it's, it's the workbook of everything that's free and online. If you go to multiplymovement.com, I want everything free. I just want it accessible. I don't, no one needs to make any money on this. You know, so, so this, you get it all free, print it out, whatever. That, that's just it printed out, so you don't have to buy it. Um, it's all coming together right now and yet the faith portion of okay god can this really happen can we really change this to where my whole belief because when we were talking there at the passion conference the thing he said he goes i don't want to pastor anyone who is not a disciple maker because i'm tired of people just coming and sitting and we got to just make a stand and say we will not shepherd anyone who is not going to be a disciple maker um, he goes, biblically, isn't a Christian a, one who makes disciples? Didn't Jesus say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? 
Jesus wouldn't have said, follow me and you can fish for men or you can just fish. You know, do whatever you want to do. No, just follow me if you want to be a fisher of men. I'll, I'll make you a fisher of men. And we need to follow that and say, look, none of this, let's just pray a prayer and ask Jesus in our heart. And then a couple of years later, if you want, you know, you can, you can be a disciple. And then later on, if you want, you can make disciples with me. No, it was laid out. Count the cost of discipleship right from the start and say, look, here it is. Follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You want to do that? And I mean, just all of this, and yet we recognize a couple of things. One, people don't feel equipped to be disciple makers. They don't know enough. And largely, that's our fault as pastors. That's largely my fault as pastors. We created this thing where everyone's so dependent on us where they, they, they don't feel comfortable with the Word of God teaching someone else. They, they want to bring their friend to church so that you will teach them. They want to take you to work with them so that you'll witness to their friends. Haven't you had that request before? I need you to talk to a friend of mine. Would you come have lunch with me at work and talk to because I can't answer these questions. And, and we haven't equipped them to do the work of the service. We've had them come and listen, I've done this. And, and so, you know, and with good intentions, I just didn't know any better. It's just like, well, this is what we do. This is what a pastor does. He's the teacher. But no, that's not what scripture tells us to do. We equip them to go and do the work. We entrust these things to reliable men who will in turn teach others. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The idea is you pass it on and it gives them some responsibility. And, and it's so good because like right now, my oldest daughter is, uh, is, is turning 17. She's a senior in high school. I've got like six months left with her. The moment she graduates, boom, she's gone. And that's, it's a weird time in life because once she leaves the house, man, I want her out of there. Like, seriously, I want to know that I was successful in training her up where, no, she can work a job. I, you know, I had her pull weeds. I had her watch, watch the kids. I, I had her clean the house. She knows how to work. She can work a job. She can make her own living now. Like, like that's, that was my goal. I don't want her coming back in five years still asking for allowance. You, you know, if she does, I just go, man, I really screwed up. I did not prepare her for this. I was just prepare her to go, to stand on her own two feet. And in the same way in the church, that's got to be our goal with the people is to say, look, I want to prepare them. So if they were the only believer in the city, they're the only Christian, they could stand on their own two feet. That's what I've been trying to train my kids up spiritually to where, look, mom and dad are gone and you've got no super church with, you know, this excellent youth group. You're fine. Because you know how to study the word. Like that's got to be our goal with our people. Think about the average person in your church. If they were left alone in a city, would their faith survive? In fact, would their faith still grow because you taught them how to study the word? And they go, it doesn't matter if there's no church here. I, could, I know how to study the word. I have a personal walk with the Lord. I can keep growing. It's okay that there's no church here because you know what? I know how to share my faith. I don't need a pastor to share my faith for me. I can, I can present the gospel. I can actually make disciples in this city. I can baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I can actually teach them how to obey all that Christ commanded them. So then I'll just gather them together. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start sharing with people by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been trained to do this. Like, do you see very many people in your church able to do that? And are you releasing people to do that? And you guys, because we haven't done that, then, you know, we have these people like Hebrews 5 talks about that should be teachers by now. But they come and sit in your church going, you didn't feed me enough. Yeah, yeah. Your sermon wasn't deep enough. You're like, shut up. You should be feeding other people by now. You know? 
You know, but some of that's us. We're not releasing and going, man, you've got to be feeding other people. You know, if I came up here with a baby bottle, you know, something on, you know, you'd be like, dude, you're supposed to be feeding a bit. What are you doing with that bottle? At least get a sippy cup. At least, you know, what are you doing? You know, like you should be an adult. You should be feeding your babies, not having your wife feed you. You just, and it's that, that same thing where, where it's, it's, we're filling our churches with these people that are complaining about our teaching and how it wasn't deep enough. And Piper said it better, you, you know, and on and on and on. And, and it's like, dude, you were supposed to be a teacher. And I felt it's like my daughter coming home when my allowance is not enough. It's like allowance. You should have been making money and giving allowance to your own kids. You see, we're creating these dysfunctional churches because we're not following what Scripture says, which is he gave us as pastors, evangelists, to equip the saints for the work of service and equip them to stand on their own two feet. And so this is, uh, this is what I've been praying for. Um, gosh, i got so many random thoughts. Um, what is called the discipleship. I mean... What's my, the title of my talk is supposed to be? The Challenge to Disciple. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the Challenge to Disciple. I'm kind of hitting that. Um, okay, Jesus said, right, you know, go in all the world. And, and understand, too. Let's, let's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have just rushed into that. Look, sometimes things get so familiar to us um, that they become common to us. And rather than holy and so even something like the great commission can be i've given so many great commission sermons what are you gonna you guys let's not lose um in fact i don't even want to just misquote it let me just matthew 20 this is this is a holy passage all these passages are Let's not just flippantly turn to the Word of God. Matthew 28. Don't miss this. Don't miss this amazing statement. This is all amazing. And Jesus came and said to them. You guys, that's amazing. Like, what's amazing about that? He was dead a few days ago. Okay, Jesus came and said to them. That's a big deal. See how we can just gloss right over that? We should be like, shut up. Jesus came and he spoke to them. He came back from the dead and told everyone, meet me on this mountain. I got a message for you. And so everyone's on the mountain waiting for him, and he shows up. The man who was crucified shows up, and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's one person standing there going, every ounce of authority that exists in heaven on earth, right here. I don't care what your mom says. He's got no authority. Your son, your wife, your husband, every ounce of authority Fix your eyes right here. Eyes rose from the dead. You don't have to listen to anyone except for me right now. Because every bit of authority in heaven and on earth was just handed to me. I came from back from the dead. Therefore. I mean, can you imagine how everyone must have been listening at that point? He says, go, make disciples of all nations. Get this message out there. Start making disciples everywhere. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some things I want to point out there. 
doesn't say go and teach them what I commanded you. He says go and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Okay, our job is not just to throw theology out there and teach Bible lessons. It's to teach them to obey those lessons. And that comes through living life with someone and going, man, you know, we heard that message or I taught that message on Sunday, but you're not actually doing it. I'm not really obeying what Jesus commanded me to do if I'm just preaching sermons I've got I to gotta be in their life and make sure they're actually obeying those sermons. That's what making a disciple is all about. Man, I didn't want to create this 24-week, you know, you know, Bible study. You know, I, I say it over and over again in, in the curriculum on the website. Look, don't just get people through a 24-week study. Yeah, this will teach them some theology. It'll teach them how to study the Bible for themselves. It'll, it'll teach them the flow of the scriptures and give them a good understanding. But man, you got to live life with them. You got to make a disciple. A disciple is not someone you just go through a study with. It's like you live life with them. You do what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus gave us the model. He says, look, come, I'm going I'm to make you. This is a promise. I'm going I'm to make you a fisher of men. Okay, I, I, I know you don't know how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Then he spends the next three and a half years teaching them. Then he dies, comes back, and goes, okay, now go do it. Go make disciples. I taught you how to do it. You live life with them. You show them your life. And, and Paul starts following this example. So he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's why he writes to like the Thessalonian church and he goes, you guys know how I lived among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. He goes, you saw my life. See, so this is the command is you've got to let them into your life. They've got to see it. You've got to spend the time. I mean, make disciples. And that's difficult. You're teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. And... Uh, are we training our people to do this? I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing at least half your church can quote the Great Commission. And I'm guessing maybe 1% is obeying the Great Commission and can name one disciple that they've baptized and taught the things of God, taught to obey the words of God. You know, I think you guys have made disciples. I think you guys have baptized people. You've led them to the Lord. But this command was for everyone. And we're supposed to train them. We're supposed to teach our people to obey Matthew 28. Go, make some disciples. And this is, this is hard. It's hard because... Is my time already up? It, I think I'm supposed to be done at 10.30. Okay, all right. Okay, that's good. Let's rebel against leadership. Um, we, <laughs> it's a good example for your flock. Um, I think I got a few more minutes. Um, I, I got another session. It's all going to run together. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, obey it. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's just put this aside. Wait, how many of you guys are, are, are leaders in the church? It's all leaders, huh? Pretty much. I mean, you may not be the pastor, but you're one of the leaders. Or we just let anyone in. It's a leadership breakfast, right? What was it? Does anyone know? What are we at? Discipleship training. I know that. It, but, oh, it's open invitation. So not everyone's a leader here. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't know that. Okay, good. Um, okay, it doesn't matter. That, this may be good. Let's just talk as human beings, okay? Doesn't matter if you're a leader, pastor, whatever. Because I think sometimes we get so focused on being a pastor that we forget what it means to be a Christian. I mean, seriously, it's like we, we want to be these successful pastors and leaders, and we're not even looking at what does Christ call us to do. In fact, let's take a step back. Whoever you are, look at your life right now. Because before we even get into making disciples, are you sure you want to make a disciple of yourself? 
I mean, what did Paul say there in 1 Corinthians 11? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you imitate Christ. You can be a very successful pastor in America when your life looks nothing like Jesus. Your actions are nothing like his. You don't have his boldness. You don't have his humility. You don't have his love for the lost and for the people. Man, I, I, I think I know this as well as anyone. Man, I ask to speak everywhere without them even knowing whether I could give a rip about their people. They don't know if I love them. They just think, oh, he can communicate. Let's get him. He'll draw some people. Let's get him. And so we, we just create this mindset out there of let's just go for the talented person, the gifted person. doesn't matter if he loves us as long as he keeps our attention. And as long as you can preach, you know the church will grow. Or if you're a good leader or gifted in something, it doesn't mean you're like Christ. And this is part of Christianity, okay? This is forget pastorate again, First uh, John 2, 6, anyone who claims to, to walk in him must, or claims to know him must walk as Jesus did. This is the goal, becoming Christ-like. And to look at your life right now and say, man, am I becoming more like Jesus himself? Everything I saw on earth of Jesus, his humility, the way he would wash the disciples' feet, the way he would serve people, the way he would tirelessly just, he, he just kept meeting people's needs and putting himself aside. He humbled himself, emptied himself of all of his glory. He made himself nothing. He let people spit on him. I mean, a lot of us don't really want to imitate Christ. We want to be a, a great speaker or teacher or writer or whatever else. And it's like, man, no, do you want at the core of you being? Are you striving after Christ's likeness? Where people just go, man, you act a lot like what I, what I see in the scriptures of Jesus. Man, are you becoming that? Because Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so if you're not becoming like Christ, why would we want you to make a disciple? We don't need to... We don't need two of you. You know? It's as you imitate Christ and you're going, man, I'm starting to love people the way he did. I'm starting to stir up that, that arrogance, that attitude. It's starting to die in me. And I, I see myself being a servant. And, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, the holiness, the purity, it's all growing. So yeah, imitate me because I, I'm becoming more like Jesus. So, so if, if that's you, then I'm going, yes, multiply, make disciples. But if that's not you, I'd say, man, one of you is enough. You know, the, we don't need more of you. We need Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus. And so if you're imitating Jesus, then please multiply yourself. But we've got enough great speakers and, you know, writers or whatever else. And, you know, pastors. But biblically, you know, let's, let's pursue Christ's likeness and then, then say, imitate me. So, so look at your life. I mean, this is not meant to discourage you. Um, this is not so you walk away sad. It's so that you're like Zacchaeus going, man, I missed it. I was supposed to become like Jesus. I actually want to be like Jesus. You know what? Let me climb down out of my tree, dig myself out of this hole and go, no, I, I'm going to pursue Christ again. Okay, everyone's telling me I got to know all the latest trends to be a good pastor, or I, I've got to be able to communicate like this, or I've really got to understand the Greek like this, or, you know, and you get all this pressure, this, 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 and, and you just get buried like, man, I'm never going to become like that guy. I'm never going to know as much as that guy. I'm never going to be able to lead like that guy. And yet that's not what Scripture's telling you to do. It's saying become like Jesus. Have this intimacy with the Father where you pull away and you can't get enough of the Father. And you get away and you've got this intimacy. I mean, think about it. If you're an unbeliever and you go into a church, what do you want to see up there? Man, you really want to see slick? You really want to see a guy who's just this great leader? You know, you, you want to see a guy that's just so well-educated? I mean, all that stuff's fine. But if you're an unbeliever searching, don't you want to see that guy up front has a connection with God like, like no one else? Where you go, man, I don't see that kind of humility. 
Look at all the people he's leading, and he serves them. Look at that guy up there. Look at the way he serves his wife. Uh, look, at, Man, look at the way every morning he gets alone with God. Look at, man, he tells me every week I'm hearing about these things he prays, and God listens to him. God doesn't listen to me like that. I mean, isn't that what would attract you where you go, he's got a connection with God. Oh, my gosh. I don't have that. I want that. See, we've got to start becoming those types of people and multiplying ourselves. Um, I think about, a, you know, let's just take one more thought and then we'll, I'll give you a break. But uh, again, I want us to be honest here. When Jesus said, go make, the, make disciples of all nations, clearly at that time, he was talking about evangelism, right? I mean, what's, what's he saying? He goes, okay, great, there's 120 of you. Look, we gotta get this to the rest of the world. So go out there and make disciples of every nation. Okay, when we say discipleship in church, it's like, okay, um, I'll disciple you, okay? You disciple me. And it's just all of us that are already here. It's like, okay, well, I was already discipling him. It's okay, you can both disciple me. You know, and it's just like this, game we play in there, but can we all ad agree that when Jesus made this statement, he's talking about get it out there. Get this message out there. Go and make disciples. I mean, Jesus went and they didn't know who he was. It was evangelism, you know? It was when Peter finally got it. I go, you're Christ the Messiah. And he's like, oh, you got it. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. God revealed that to you. That, that, that came from heaven just now. You get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a church upon this rock. This is happening now. You know, it, 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 these guys didn't have the faith in Christ at first. It, it was this growing thing, and it, it was, and now go, go do this with other people. Show them my power. It's about getting out to the world, unbelievers. And this is where I want us to just talk honestly. Look, we in this room don't enjoy going out and sharing the gospel with people. I'm guessing most of us. I don't mind preaching. I don't mind this. I actually enjoy this. I don't know if you're enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. Um, I'm very comfortable in this arena. Get me, you know, across the street at Pete's Coffee to just sit down with a stranger and start talking to him about Jesus and building a relationship with someone who's just against everything I believe, I don't enjoy that. I'm praying that God would give me a greater enjoyment of it, but it's, it's, it's just hard. I, I think I'd rather do anything than that, if I'm honest. And I could justify, oh, I need more family time. Oh, I'm just going to really spend time with my staff. Oh, I'm going to work on this sermon for another 12 hours. Because I really want to nail it for the glory of God. Truth is, is I, I will do anything to get away from sharing my faith one-on-one. -on -one. I'll preach the gospel. I got no problem preaching the gospel. But sharing it one-on-one, -on -one, I don't like it. Um, and coming out of seminary, no one is good at it because we've been hanging out with seminary people for three years, and like, hey, what does that verse say? I don't know. <laughs> you, you know? And now you want me to talk to a non-Christian? You, you know? It's just not going to happen. And so here's the example we're setting for our people. If we're not out there, um, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I remember, and, and, it does, and it doesn't sit well with us. Those of us who are believers, it makes no sense. You know it. You know it. When you see someone over there, that person does not believe in Jesus. I believe that he's headed for an eternity apart from God, and I am going to say nothing to him. We know that doesn't make sense. So let's just get it out on the table and not pretend, well, that's not my gift. Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. 
endure hardship, he says. Endure the suffering. It's just, it's suffering. It's hard, especially in the Bay Area, where our standards, our morality are just mocked. It's just a given that no one believes that anymore. And now you're going to go out and you're going to talk to someone and look them in the eye and try to convince them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that their way of life that everyone else has accepted, you're going to tell them it's wrong? Oh, that sounds like fun. And so we want to avoid it at all costs and come up with other ways. Man, and we don't feel right about it at the end of the day. I, I remember even, even early in my, you know, pastor going to the guy with the biggest church and, and, you know, just learning from him. But then when it was all done, I'm like, hey, dude, let me ask you something. You ever feel guilty for not, like, telling your neighbors, like, just, I mean, you can invite them to church, but don't you ever feel guilty, like, you don't go up to people and tell them about Jesus? And he said, no. I go, Really? He goes, that's not my job. It's the people's job. I just motivate them to do it. And I was like, I like that. Okay, okay, yeah, that's what I believe now. You know, like you want, you know, so you, you want to accept that and go, yeah, that's not my job. I equip the saints to do it, you know, but we know, we know that there's just fear in us. There's insecurity in us. We don't like to be rejected. It's just difficult. So we've we got to just admit that. And, and the people, man, they're the same. See, so then what do the people do? The people go, well, I don't, I, I can't just share Jesus with people. That's what my pastor does. And so then no one does it. Did, did you see how that's happening? I mean, isn't that exactly what happens? I, I remember early days, you know, some of you have heard me share this before, but I remember uh, going to a you know, thing like this, where a pastor got up front, and he was teaching a bunch of us young pastors, telling, and he was telling us about this Christmas program that they had, you, you know, and, his, and how much money it cost. He was telling us, you know, all the people in the church, how they would come, and they would rehearse this Christmas, Christian musical, you know, for Christmas, and it, it was a, he goes, man, they'd spend 15 hours a week for months rehearsing, because we wanted excellence, and all these people came and gave their life to the Lord, and everyone applauded, and I'm thinking, man, that's, that's really good. And I remember going up to him afterwards and going, hey, that's, that's awesome, but um, I, I just got to ask you, like, all these people came to the church building to rehearse like 15 hours a week. If they spent that 15 hours talking to their next-door neighbor, like inviting them to dinner and personally sharing their faith, I go, wouldn't that have been even more effective? And it's free. And the guy goes, well, of course. But no one's willing to do that. And I remember at the time, I still remember hearing it and thinking and going, oh, yeah, you're right. That was my response. You're right. No one's going to do that. See, but that was 15 years ago. That's what I just thought, of course. So we have to do this. See, now I'm going, no, that's stupid. That is so stupid. So we're going to change the whole system because people are afraid and not willing to do what they're called to do? So we'll say, okay, okay, you don't want to share with your friends, you don't want to talk to neighbors, you don't want to look at a human being in the eye and build a relationship. Okay, you don't have to. You don't have to because that would require some courage. That might even require the Holy Spirit. So don't do that. Just come to the church. We'll dress you up as a reindeer. Sing this song. You know, your pitch is pretty good. Just sing this song. It'll take no, you even get to cover your face, you know, with the reindeer mask so your friends don't know it's you. And so here's a safe way that requires no courage from you. You can even show off your voice. And they're like, okay, okay, let's do that. Let's do, let's do that. And I'm just going, okay, it's, it's, this is ridiculous. People were scared in the scriptures. And what they did when they were afraid, they got together and prayed for courage. You see the people doing that. You see Peter and John doing that in, in Acts chapter 4. And God was so pleased with it that there was an earthquake and they left there filled with the Spirit and more courage. You see Paul writing Timothy and going, man, don't be afraid. 
God didn't give you that spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of courage. That's what they did. They, 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 they looked each other in the eye and said, look, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to remind you that God didn't give you that fear. That spirit of fear came from somewhere else. God gave you a spirit of power, of love, of self-control. And I'm not going to let you off the hook here. I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you because something happens when I pray for people. And the the Holy Spirit's going to give you a courage. And we're going to strive side by side and be unafraid. See, even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, Paul, the boldest Christian we can think of, tells the church, pray for me that I might preach boldly as I ought. Paul asked for that. Peter and John asked for that. Timothy needed that. And when is the last time someone prayed for your courage, your boldness? That's what believers are supposed to gather to do, is to give, to encourage. Give you, put courage into you. You know what? I know you've never talked to your mom about this, but she's dying, and you've got to get to her. And I know you're afraid, but I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to bring a couple friends over. We're going to pray because something happens when we pray. And remind you of what Scripture says. We're not to be cowards. Cowards are the ones that are cast away at the end. We're overcomers. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you. I know you can talk to your neighbor. I know you can talk to your friends at school. You are going to make a disciple, not me. You don't need me. I'm just here to equip you. You're going to go and make disciples. So I guess that was my cue that it's break time.